Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Production. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm here with the star of our show, the star of our flagship program, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan. And this is Coaching Kernan, episode 143. Uh, we're excited. We've got a guest today that we actually encountered uh, through our social media plights early on, and we've become very close with her. Uh, we're excited to have her on our show today. But before we get to, to Kelly and we introduce her formally, I want to thank our subscribers closing in on 14,200 today. I'm sure we'll eclipse that after this show. Please continue to support us on your whatever your streaming device is, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe. We get credit for it. We can continue to give you great baseball content, uh, This not just this week, but for the future. And I think you're going to love our guest today. It's going to give a unique perspective on baseball, one that we haven't had yet on our show. Uh, but also remember to engage us on social media, you see our guest today is where we, we met Kelly, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I answer a question today. We had a little over 200 questions uh, this morning. I got to something on the transfer portal today. We're hitting that with college sports right now, and it's something that we want to look at with our youth sports. I put a solution there, what bothers me, the core problem. Um, but uh, Kevin, with you now, welcome back to the show. I'm, I'm enjoying your columns as usual with Ball 9. We want to make sure we continue to support that. Two great articles a week. Uh, the, the enthusiasm with this World Baseball Classic, you touched on it with, with one of your articles. It's just amazing, and I hope it's infectious. Hello, Dave. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, I've been a WBC backer. I've been, I went to the first two, and I enjoyed it very much. And, um, you know, it, it's it's baseball. And uh, that that's the, the uh, I did an article this week called Passion Play, because uh, essentially they've tried to make baseball into numbers, science class, math class, uh, Ivy League elites, um, uh, and and they've tried to take the passion out of the game. You know, pitchers being robots, uh, umpires being li- literally robots, hitters resetting themselves. But the WBC, and it's so funny because they didn't plan this. You know, they 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 they're just looking a way to sell jerseys for essentially, and uh, but 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 they really hit on something where. The players play for their country. They play so hard and passionately. They give so much. And it's amazing how good they are. I think that's the key, what you see here, is how good all these players are. And, and uh, you know, that. So, so I really detail, you know, that the WBC brings emotion back to the game, which has been lost. Uh, I thought it was a really good column and, and like uh, – as as one of my um, one of my baseball people told me in the column, uh, other countries are moving ahead of us in baseball. Now, he doesn't mean necessarily in the ability to play the game because we got USA versus Japan, and it was set up that way. You know, they got exactly what they wanted. Um, but he's talking about how their passion for the game, their love for the game, shows through. And the biggest thing that struck me watching the WBC nowadays is, is not only all the things I just said, but the, from a fan perspective, the WBC fans watch the game. They're not on their phones, unless it's maybe some Team USA and Marlins man is looking to get himself on TV or whatever. But uh, they watch the game. If you and you know, I've watched these games intently, and these fans are just locked in. And it's kind of like a throwback to like the 70s. And uh, it's great to see. And then the second piece I did was on, uh, I went back to my Irish roots a little bit on St. Patrick's Day and did a uh, fascinating piece uh, called A Song for Ireland, where, you know, I got a hold, you know, uh, McSherry, 
uh, and Jim Palmer, uh, you know, Jim Palmer, I've known, known forever. And I spoke to Garvey, uh, basically Palmer, just a little background on Palmer before we get to Kelly. Um, Palmer was, uh, he didn't find out he was Irish until he was 72 years old. And, um, and it's, it's really amazing because he was adopted. And I asked him about it because, you know, I'm, you know, obviously Aaron Judge adopted. And I, I was the one who first heard about that way back when. And um, his wife was a little bored during the playoffs, to be honest. And and they're watching. he's watching the game. So she started doing some really deep research and uh, found out, you know, because he was he was adopted at a very young age. His uh, adoptive father died at the age of 11 and then his mom remarried and she married an actor named max palmer that's how he became jim palmer so it, it just was a a fascinating story then of course i talked to jim leland as well in the article and jim uh jim uh says his irish roots were the uh, essence of his success as a manager because it came from a big family and had sunday nights they would sit around the piano and play music you know they they were just his dad was a factory worker his dad had like brothers and sisters so that taught him Jim how to deal with so many different people I think there was six uh, six or seven in the, in the Leland family and uh, lo and behold uh, and these are the things I find out when I talk to people Jim Leland played the trumpet up until high school and was a good little trumpet player and uh, but here was a guy who never blew his own horn was a great manager so those are the things that he got this week and it also was a busy week on a personal note because Mrs. A and B S had major thumb surgery, and it's the second thumb. Uh, she had the other one done last year, so it's been an exciting week around here. And how's she doing? She's doing well, thanks. Good. And uh, my my kids got a big kick out of it. We were watching the Last Dance the other night, episode the the tenth <laughs> one, and I mean it was like poetic. We turned it on. It was you coming around the corner with Dennis Rodman in the front of the the uh, the press, and I think he was sharing with you what he was going to do. We won't share because we have kids on there. But what he was going to do after they won the championship there, and it was uh, we have a lawyer. Well, the, right other, now. the main thing that they kept on just to just to, to clarify is the um, I had a great relationship with Rodman because you know, and even to this day, I have a good relationship with a lot of people. And I, and, and let me get this off my chest. And again, I I know uh, Kelly's got a lot to say, and we we won't uh, interrupt her. But what's his name? Edwin Diaz gets hurt, right? Edwin Diaz. This is huge. And I want Kelly to address this too, but he gets hurt. You know, there wasn't one, the record, the uh, the papers in Connecticut, the New Jersey.com, the Post, the Daily News, not one beat, not one writer from those papers were at the event. It was all covered via TV. They didn't go to the event. That's a big Big drop of the ball by uh, the sports editors of all those papers. How you could not cover that event, which was only, they got writers sitting in Port St. Lucie. They couldn't go down to Miami for the day because you never know what's going to happen at a game. And uh, so, again, I'm old school. Um, I went out and found Robin. The other writers were looking for him. I knew he came out the back door. And And the main question I wanted to ask him was, how does this team match up with the greatest teams of all time? And, of course, in a Rodman way, he gave the kind of answer that you it would not surprise you. He said, well, if you, if you don't think this is the greatest team of all time, uh, then you're doing drugs. So, And that, that, that survived the test of time because I made the effort. I was there. I knew where to find him. I got the interview. 
Oh, you're right, right next to him. You're right yeah, down. it's appalling. It's appalling uh, what, what's going And then with FDU, just to get on further on my, band, uh, you know, FDU, I don't think the New Jersey papers were at that game either. They were not. And you wonder why the papers are going downhill because they don't have writers that do what they what I did, and they don't have editors that make people show up at events. It's that simple. Yeah, we'll you'll be happy. Tanner's the one that saw it, the one that we talk about on the show quite a bit with baseball, and he jumped. He goes, "That's Kevin right there." Now I don't know how he recognized you. I don't know how, and uh, but he uh, he made all the other kids come back and he goes, "That's that's that's the dude that does podcasts with." That's Kevin. So they were all excited to see. They weren't pointing at Robin; they were pointing at you. So ah, that's funny. That's you're funny. the famous one there, but uh, no, I, I, be- beautiful writing. I always love reading your pieces. Um, it's 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 great. It sounds like hopefully Major League Baseball starts listening. We did see some bunting last week in games, so maybe they're paying attention in San Diego with what uh, what you're writing and talking about. So keep it up. We appreciate what you do. And uh, now to our guest, Kelly, you get a chance to see what we we do early on in the show now. But I, I want to introduce our guest today, former guest lecturer at the Baseball Hall of Fame, baseball contributor to CNN uh, Financial Network, former uh, practicing attorney, owns her own law practice, Franco and Associates. Um, we've, we met initially through uh, Twitter, where you run a site called Three Inning Fan and a website also with threeinningfan.com. And Kevin touched on this a little bit. We get on this every, every show. You're the youngest of eight brothers and two sisters, um, which, uh, again, we talked before the show. I told you we have four children and you laugh, so that's nothing compared to what I went through. So eight brothers, two sisters. With that, I want to introduce Kelly Franco Troop. Kelly, welcome to the show today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Dave. Yeah. And um, I'll get you started a little bit. I'm, I'm, this is where we started, these first couple questions, let our audience know a little bit more about you um, before I turn it over to Kevin. But uh, three-inning fan, how, how did you come about that name for your your Twitter site? Tell, tell the audience a little bit what's on it, and then... Your, uh, your website, but Three Inning Fan, that's a catchy name. We all look for those catchy names. That one resonates, but it also means something. It does. And thank you so much for having me on the show. So I think personally that there's a lot more room in baseball for casual fans. And I say that partially out of self-preservation because I want more people to love this game because I enjoy it and I want others to enjoy it. I want there to be more fans I want there to be more coverage. I want my girlfriends to want to watch games with a glass of wine with me. So I kind of came up with this idea of a three-inning fan to say, you know what? You don't have to watch all nine innings of a game every night. Personally, I would love to watch a whole baseball game every night, but I can't. I sometimes do, but other times, look, I have a day job. Like you said, I've got a law practice. I have a marriage. I have friends. And as much as I'd like to schedule all of our social events for Mondays and Thursdays in the summer when they're mostly off days in the baseball season, that's going to go over like a lead balloon. So it's just not practical to watch every inning of every game. Yeah, and your your site that you do on Twitter, very informative. We follow it. We comment on it. We we like it. But you're you're getting a pretty good following, almost a cult following on it. What are some things or... I guess, how do you come about your topics? And then what are some of the topics kind of broad stroke that you, you've touched on? Sure. I like to look at mostly the legal or transactional aspects of the game. And I usually come across the ideas for the videos when questions come up for myself that I don't really know the answer to. For example, with the Japanese posting system, 
this off season, we all started hearing about Kodai Senga. And I thought, wow, this guy's really exciting. And then I see that the Mets are interested in him. And I thought, you know what? Doesn't he have to go through that posting system thing? And it turned out he didn't. And I thought, well, why didn't he have to go through the posting system? So I researched the Japanese posting system and I did a one minute video on it and I put it on Twitter. And the great thing about it is that I get to learn about it along with everybody else. Yes, it's, I mean, it's, it's a great way to organically touch on topics, but you figure if, if as you, you as a fan are interested in and don't know about it, there's probably thousands of others that have no clue also. And they're, they're digestible. I, I love how, you know, they're, they're usually, you know, 45 seconds to two minutes. Uh, but they're, as I say, they're uh, short sentences and strong verbs. You get right to your point uh, with all of it, and it's appreciated. Well, with um, when I wanted to hit on an, another broad stroke with you, which is very important and close to this show right here. Uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, I noticed, and we talked a little bit about in your bio, <laughs> that you were a lecturer at the guest lecture at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Interesting story behind how that came about. Um, sh- share that a little bit. Thanks, Dave. I actually designed a class on how to watch, understand, and appreciate a baseball game for the novice fan. The original idea I had in mind was, what if you're married to someone who loves baseball and you don't know anything about it? What's a good way to learn about it? Because you know what? I think baseball is a great thing for marriages because when you marry someone, you're hopefully going to stay with that person for the rest of your life. So you're talking decades. And let's be honest, as happy as all of our marriages are, sometimes you need some new things to talk about. And I actually think baseball is a wonderful thing. It's a dynamic topic. It's fun to watch together. And I think it's a nice thing to share with a spouse. So I designed this class that I thought would teach the novice baseball fan the basic rules of the game and also the structure of the leagues, how teams advance in the postseason and get to the playoffs in the World Series, and then teach the baseball fan, the novice baseball fan, 10 pieces of baseball trivia that every fan should know. Because we all know that baseball trivia can get a little bit in the weeds. You know, everyone wants to say, Vic Wirtz, it was Vic Wirtz. But you don't need to know who Vic Wirtz was. You can maybe just know 10 things about the game and that'll be just fine. Know who Jackie Robinson was. Know what the Black Sox scandal was and why it shook our souls. Know what the shot heard around the world was. Be fluent in the curse of the babe. If you know those things, you're all set to enjoy a game. So I designed this class and I was giving it locally at some, you know, adult community education places and it got written about in the newspaper and pretty soon this producer for CNN uh, picked it up. And as you referenced in your kind intro, he started inviting me to be on this CNN show, The Flip Side, as a guest baseball contributor. And then the Hall of Fame picked it up. And they invited me to come up and lecture in Cooperstown. And it was one of the great thrills of my life. Did you save any marriages? You know, it's funny that you say that because after one of the lectures, I was grabbing a sandwich with my husband across the street and a young guy and his wife walked up to me and the guy said, I think you might have just saved my marriage. 
that's uh, well, <laughs> time well spent with that. It's and this is a kind of an offshoot question. I don't mean to take us sideways here, but I usually do that once a show by accident. Have has anybody asked you to continue on with that lecture? Or has anybody tried to even? I'm thinking not some smiling with marriage counselors use that as a a piece of their curriculum to help. You know, in our country's what fifty percent, one out of every two get divorced. Maybe you've got the answer. Right, right. <laughs> I uh, I would love the chance to continue the lecture. I've been actually lecturing the past two summers, last summer, and starting up again now on ten ways the game has changed since we were kids. Because there are so many changes happening in the game right now, and I'm really enjoying exploring them. It turns out to be incredibly timely with the pitch clock and the balanced schedule and everything else going on. Are, are we seeing some of those in your, your Twitter feeds? Are you, are you? Yeah, I'm definitely profiling them in smaller doses in the one-minute videos, which I call the three-inning minutes. The lecture that I give is about 45 minutes long, and at first I did record it, and I thought, this is great, I'll post this. And one of my brothers in a classic way that only a sibling it sh doesn't sugarcoat anything. You know, everyone else is nicey nice. And a sibling says, you know, what the heck are you doing? My brother says to me, nobody's going to watch a 45 minute video. You've got to do one minute videos. And I thought one minute videos, that's for teenage girls on TikTok. And he said, no, no, you can do it. You can do it. And, you know, he was right. I started making these one minute videos and who doesn't have a minute to watch a video? Yeah, and they're very informative, the ones that I've seen and commented on. Uh, love them to pieces. Give us, uh, you know, and, and I'm going to turn it over to Kevin. In terms of you've seen the game change, what are what, what's one or two sore spots or good happy spots for you that you've seen the game change? You could take it either way. Sure. Well, like any traditional baseball fan, I spend a fair amount of time shaking my fist at the clouds. All right, let's just face it. We all do. But like any other curmudgeon, once in a while, they make a change. And I think, all right, well, maybe I can live with that one. One of the changes I think I'm going to be able to live with is the pitch clock, because I'm hoping it'll fade into the background and I won't notice it and that it will speed up the games a bit so I can actually see the end of the game before bed. And now my Twitter friends are kidding me that I'll have to change my name from the three inning fan to maybe like the six inning fan. But one of the changes that I'm not too thrilled with is the new shift restrictions that they introduced this year. Not that I like the shift. I didn't like the shift, but I wanted to see the shift phase itself out organically. If you look at players like Jeff McNeil, the NL batting champ last year, he was a thrill to watch because he sprayed the ball all over the field and it caught everybody off guard. If there were more players like him, they wouldn't have had to regulate the shift. But nobody wanted to hit except be a pull hitter. Nobody wanted to hit to the opposite field. Nobody wanted to hit a little bunt down the third base line. So they regulated it. So I'm not going to miss the shift. I just think it could have been phased out organically. No, fair point. Fair point. Kevin, go ahead. I'll pass it on to you. No, on the shift, I agree 100%, Kelly. That's a great point. And uh, uh, I've been, I've been, I, you know, I've been screaming about this for years. Just hit the ball the other way. 
and, and McNeil. And but he, the I think the essential problem there, Kelly, is it's the nerds because the nerds even tried to change McNeil. If you remember, I know you're a good fan, and a few years ago McNeil struggled because they tried to make him into a pull hitter, and that's what they want. They don't want bunts. So my essential read of all this is the nerds are ruining everything in baseball. And uh, I hate to be so blunt on it, but that's what's happening. But baseball is such a great game, as you point out, that it survives itself. In the WBC, there's no pitch clock. There's no shift limitations. Um, and those games are great to watch. So so I think by you bringing this forward, it, it really helps. Because and, and also your legal background. I'm going to get to that first um before I got to ask you, what uh, are the divorce attorneys upset with you because you're not, uh, you know, your fellow attorneys because maybe you're saving some marriages? <laughs> Kevin, that's hilarious. And I got to say, it is such a thrill to be here talking to you. I've been following your columns on Ball Nine for some time. And one of the things that I really like about how you write is that you often explore the unintended consequences exactly. of the rule changes. And I saw it when you looked at robo-umps and also with the change in the shift restrictions. I think you were the first one to point out that there are no restrictions on the outfielders and we're going to see a left fielder coming in and playing short right fields like they did on, you know, Joey Gallo in spring training. No, and that's, uh, you know, they don't because they don't understand the game. and And again, this is not just me talking and I appreciate the kind words. But I do the research and talk to baseball people. So I may have a thought, just like you have a thought, and then you research it. And all of a sudden, other people are giving even more information. And all of a sudden, you got something. And, and that's what you do. And, and I actually, um, you know, I, I, you know I, even today, just so people understand, too, you know, you, you, you take different looks at things like the Japanese call of the, of the uh, final run and things like that. And, I, and so I, I advise everybody to go there and follow you uh, on Twitter and, and and the other thing I like too is besides the emotional and, and the grassroots perspective of baseball, you, you obviously have a, a deeper understanding than I do, certainly of and, and most fans of of the um, legal matters. So I, I wanted to ask you about the uh, how do you see this Bally Sports uh, thing playing out with Chapter Eleven and where are we going from here? Where, I mean, uh, you you look at it with a fresh look as opposed to most. Uh, most fans who can't really wrap their head around it. What do you see happening with this Bally sports thing? Well, it is a tremendously complex issue. And I think that the cord cutting that people are undergoing has really had an impact on mm-hmm. the this whole RSN system. What I hope will come out of it is that MLB will find a way to digitally distribute the games And those of us, the rest of us that still have these expensive cable packages, hopefully can cut the cord. And I'd like to see these games distributed digitally with no blackouts. Is that Pollyanna? Well, any way they can make money, they'll make money. But if you're right, if they have the no blackouts, I I think people would, uh, would, would, would love it because... You know, I'm kind of a Yankee Mets. I'm not, a, you know, I love to really follow the Yankees and the Mets, obviously, all the teams, but the Yankees and the Mets, because I spent so many years covering them. Well, I live in St. Augustine, Florida, so I have no blackouts with those guys. Now, a lot of times I can't see the Marlins or the Tampa teams, but, uh, you know, if I get them over the cable. So that that's a key part of it. And 
And the amount of money that we're looking at is it, it, these teams, are they going to be like, I was just reading the other day, the Padres could be losing like, you know, $60 million or something. If these payments aren't made, uh, that's going to have an impact as well. I, you're right. The Padres are going to be hard hit. The Reds, I think the Rangers um, and the Guardians, I think those were four teams mentioned. Yeah, the Guardians, are, you're right. Uh, yeah, that's a big and, one. And just in case somebody's listening and they're trying to put this all together here, if Diamond cannot pay the teams the fees they owe for the broadcasting rights, then those teams are making less money. And that means that those teams' payrolls could be impacted. So these teams, the Padres, Reds, Rangers, I think could have some repercussions. And the way that's going to feed into the broader picture is right now there's a lot of talk of the economic disparity in the sport. And if you want, you can put air quotes around that. Mm. Um but some of the owners are pretty upset that Steve Cohen is spending to make a great team, which I personally do not have a problem with. I think owners should field competitive teams. And so if some teams are making less money because diamonds cannot pay them for the broadcasting rights, it's going to feed into the economic disparity they already claim to have. Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing, and that's why I'm glad you could explain that to our listeners because uh, it's not just it's not just like uh, you know it's 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 not just going to affect a little bit. It's going to affect a lot, and I know the Guardians are panicking about it a little bit from what I've heard, and it's going to even now affect who they might sign. Even though sometimes when you're putting your payroll together and you make a trade late in spring training or you know before the trade market, so it's it's going to be something big and. Uh, Besides the legal part of it, the other thing I like that you do is you made a great point in, uh, in one of your writings that, um, you know, baseball's uh, unpredictability is its allure. Just to tell everybody, about, you know, look, go a little deeper there. Sure. I, like you, am not a big fan of the statistics in the game. I mean, we all grew up with the statistics we were comfortable with. When I grew up, we had ERA, we had batting average, we had home runs and RBIs. And I'm pretty much good with still that because let me Mm -hmm. tell you, these days we have so many stats, it makes my head spin. And we have these guys who are supposedly great players and they're hitting 237. And I, my brain just doesn't know how to digest that. When I was a kid, say what you want about our old stats being situationally dependent or inaccurate. Let me tell you, if somebody got in the box and they were hitting 280, I knew I wanted them at the plate. Now I get assaulted by war and WRC plus, and I don't know what to think. I think, get me back to the glory of the game. Get me back to Willie Mays' majestic catch. Get me back to Derek Jeter's flip play. That's what I want in the game. Everything I want out of baseball, I can see with my own two eyes. I don't need any statistics to tell me what's good and bad. That's a great point, and, and you, you explain it so well. And I think, uh, I think, like I said earlier about them, I never thought about this so you just said it, but not only are they turning players, umpires into robots, but they want the fans to be robots too and just – you know, spit out some numbers or give me the uh, war or, or, you know, I, and some of the numbers 
make no sense. I don't care. I'll argue, I'll argue all day long with one of these nerds if they want about it. I mean, it cracks me up with exit velocity. And, and Dexter Fowler was talking about this the other day. One of the reasons why he decided to retire was because of the the whole, um, he probably could have squeezed out a year or two more, but he said that there's this whole idea that you got to hit the ball hard every time. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you lace a hit the other way. That's, and I think that gets back to what you're trying to, what you're saying is that it's the majestic, you know, the, the magic of the sport when someone hits the ball the other way. And, and even last night's game with uh, Otani, he started the rally with a nice, you know, double, but he didn't try to, you know, if he's trying to jack that ball out of stadium, he strikes out on three, three uh, pitches and, uh, you know, Japan maybe loses. That's the beauty of the game. And because my essential thought here is because the nerds don't know the game, they try to implement all these things into the game. That's why you have so many unintended consequences. And that's why you get to, you know, all the things that you can talk about to help explain. Because I think essentially they've they've tried to hijack the game, but I think the WBC has shown us that the game cannot be hijacked. It needs to be emotionally played. And I wanted to ask you about... uh, Oh, uh, you know, Randy or Rosalina, uh, you know, you, you know, being that training fan type person, wh- what does he mean to you in the game when you see him play? Well, he was certainly on display last night and he made some some great plays. And I think before the game, he also said uh, he was asked, what do you expect to see of Sasaki? And he said, I expect to see him lose which was actually kind of a catchy response. Um, But unfortunately for him, it it didn't work out that way. But you know what? I mean, last night, I got to say, it was entertaining. And there was enjoyment in watching that game. And when you talk about the nerds, they really do strip the enjoyment, the fun out of the game. And I would just like to see more people sitting back, relaxing and having a nice time watching baseball. Also with you being in the hall of fame, I wanted to ask you this, uh, you know, you know, I've been up there many times, a guest lecturer you were, and uh, you know, each road loves the hall of fame on his own. He would just drive up, you know, on his own. I've been told by hall of fame people, he's come up six or seven times uh, just, you know, Maybe off day in a you know an off day or maybe a day in the winter. All of a sudden, Ichiro shows up. That's that's what the Hall of Fame is. While you were up there, did anything strike you that uh, you really want to relate to the fans about uh, that whole experience? Sure. You know, I think the main thing about the Hall of Fame is just the sense of history and what really makes baseball great is that. It is intertwined with American history in a way that no other sport is. And that's why you hear sometimes people say it's being replaced as America's pastime. And I don't want to sound like I'm a shill for baseball, but let me tell you, no other sport shares the history of this country like baseball does. Baseball has carried us through the most difficult times. It's comforted us. It has entertained us, and it's sometimes broken our hearts. But you look back, I mean, I think of 1941 and this country being on the verge of entering World War II, and I think of the tension that must have been filling the air. And then I think about a 56-game hitting streak and it bringing the entire country together together 
Mm. I think when I talk to people from back in that day, they say that, you know, you could have been standing in line at the bank and you could talk to the person back of you like, did he get a hit? Did he get a hit today? And then I think about 9-11 and when our hearts were broken and we were just, we never thought we'd smile again. And I think it was 11 days after 9-11, baseball right. was played in New York. And baseball put that city on its back and it carried it. So when you go to a place like the Hall of Fame, you are really struck by how important baseball is to us as a nation. Yeah, and I think uh, the wonderful points. And um, speaking of 9-11, I know with the Hall of Fame, it's on, you know, it's on a rotating basis, but the Piazza jersey is up there sometimes and um, yeah. the home run jersey. And uh, not to blow my own horn because I just was played a small role in it, but uh, at the time, the Mets were selling that jersey and they, they sold it ahead of time, which was unbelievable to me. Um, but then uh, Scaramucci and his group came in and, and uh, kept it from going to a private, uh, you know, into a private private situation. And, and they, his group purchased it and, and donated it, you know, allows it to be shown at the Hall of Fame. And that's such a wonderful point uh, about what, how baseball carries us through. And I think getting back to what you were saying earlier about your um, marriages and things, I think on a, on a, besides a, the global uh, aspect of baseball, on the individual aspect of baseball, maybe there is something going on in your life, but you go to a baseball game, you kind of forget your worries. And it could be any game. It doesn't have to be a major league game. I want to make that clear to people. There's that, there's that certain love. And the other thing that baseball brings before I, I, I got a couple more before I throw it to Dave, um, it kind of renews us with young players. And, uh, you know, the young players come through if they're done right. And Damon Oppenheimer has done a good job with the Yankees and pulling up some of these people. Uh, you know, I, I, out of nowhere, basically, you know, the judges and the things and Volpe getting, uh, you know, late in the first round. What do you see happening with Volpe? Do you think um, you think they'll do the old uh, keep him in the minors for a few uh, for, for the extra year of uh, service? Or do you think he'll just uh, come flying out of the gate with them? I think that we'll see him this year. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they held on to him long enough to for it not to count as a year of service time, you know, um, do a little service time manipulation and be able to hold on to him for longer. But I think at some point he will come up this season and it's going to be fun for the fans. And also, you know, honestly, in fairness to the Yankees, I think that he only played some 22 games or something at AAA last year. It was a very small amount of time that he had in AAA. So he may still need a, a tiny bit more seasoning. Yeah, I think that's why they're playing him so much now. You know, he's leading off almost every game. And uh, I think they're trying to get that final read to see if he is, in their minds, ready. I, I'm impressed with the kid on many levels, and I think he can handle whatever it hap whatever happens. And I think the Yankees, uh, hopefully they learned their lesson from Judge. Like, if you have that young talent, sign him earlier long term, and and uh, they're, they're lucky to have a Volpe. But that's those are the things that we love about the game, you know. And, and the same thing with the Mets. The Mets, you know, I know, I know you how you feel about the Mets. And um, I, I wanted to ask you your read on what it's going to be like for them this season because uh, I know uh, you spend a lot of time thinking about the Mets as well. 
I do. I do. And I think that the Mets are going to be great to watch. Obviously, Mets fans have had their hearts broken over Edwin Diaz. Um, but what can you do? That is what it is. And everyone can only just hope that he gets better in time um, to maybe appear before the end of the season. But they have a great starting pitching combination with Justin Verlander. Um, and I think that they're going to be a really good team to watch this year. It'll be interesting to see if McNeil can continue looking good as he did last year and um, see what Steve Cohen's offseason moves can accomplish. Yeah, and I think Alonzo, too, is uh, I think the uh, the other point, since we talk so much about World Baseball Classic, I, I love throwing players into this at a relatively young age. McNeil's older. Alonzo's a little bit younger because I think – the other thing that doesn't get noted about the World Baseball Classic, which is huge, is that these games are important. They're not meaningless, as some people have said. Um, and I think when you play in that kind of pressure, you get better as a player. And uh, and I think that hit that uh, Alonzo got the other day is going to help him out a lot. So I, I think both McNeil and Alonzo and the, and the Mets that played in this, in this uh, thing, obviously the Diaz thing, that's a whole other story. That's another tangent I'll go off on sometime, but this whole celebration thing has gotten out of control. I mean, they, 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 they every walk off, and I, again, maybe, I, maybe I'm a, I'm a son of a cop, so I always think of some, you know, dire consequences here and there. But every time I see a walk off, it scares me because you see the guys running out of the dugout, basically tackling their, tackling their player, tearing off his jersey. And I know how easy it is to get hurt in baseball. I played baseball through college, and it, it kind of like I'm saying, what you know, relax a little bit about this. So I think the 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 silver lining here will be that they got they did the surgery quickly, and that's another thing. I know you 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 do research and all that kind of stuff. When you have that kind of injury, if you, the, the quicker the surgery, the better the recovery is because you don't want any scar tissue to form. So I think uh, that. I think I think players will be a little smarter. Like even a Ro- Rosarina, when he made that catch last night, you know, it wasn't like somebody was jumping up and down. He didn't jump up and down. He didn't hang on the wall. He like just stood there and gave his like Superman pose or whatever. That's yeah. fun, you know, they keep keep it fun. So I think that's important too. And the other thing I'd ask you, when your girlfriends get together, what kind of wine are we talking about? <laughs> Well, we, we do enjoy some wine of all different colors and an occasional tequila and sometimes <laughs> a high noon in the summer. That sounds like fun. Uh, we got to get <laughs> to one of those uh, parties. I hope, uh, uh, you know, I hope you co-mingle there. Maybe we bring a couple of husbands there. But, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, and, and lastly, before I, before I throw it to Dave, I want to get to another, uh, another kind of legal point, but uh the 10-year contracts, explain that a little bit to, to the listeners so they understand that a little better, why why people are doing it, not only for the money, but, you know, for the spreading out the wealth, so to speak, over the years. This offseason, we saw an influx of very long contracts, 10, 11, 12 years. And as a fan, and just as any human being with common sense, you think, why would any club sign a player for such a long-term contract? Because we all know that by the end of the contract, there's a good chance that the last two or three years, the player is going to be completely cooked. But when you look at it, 
Teams pay luxury tax based on average annual value. They call it AAV. And so you average out, the plain vanilla version is you average out how much a player is being paid over the number of years of his contract. So if you've given him a very long contract, you get to average it out over all those years and the AAV can be lower than it otherwise would be. And the AAV is the metric that they use to determine what kind of luxury tax the team will pay or not pay. So a, long, a low AAV because of a long contract can lower the luxury tax of a team such that even if a team has to eat basically eat the last two or three years of a player's contract, it can still make good sense to give a long-term contract to a player in today's dollars because you'll get a lower luxury tax bill. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And, uh, you know, that's why we wanted to have you on the show, one of the many reasons. So I'll throw it back to Dave and uh, let him finish up with you. Yeah, I think this it's been great, uh, Kelly. And as far as the World Baseball Classic goes, I, I love the points you guys made about the science and the math, not just with that, but we haven't heard much of that in the classic. And my fear is with that stuff that we get so caught up in the science and math as, as spectators, as you know, the bureaucrats that run baseball, that we're, we're going to lose the sense of the awe. And I'm glad the World Baseball Classic has kind of brought that back. Um, the, uh, and the stars in the game, we can't get any bigger. Betson, uh, from what I understood, and I, I don't have verification as I heard through, I think DeRosa mentioned it, but Betts and Shroud had a private meeting with DeRosa, the, the skipper, and mm-hmm. told them, please stop managing this as an exhibition series. Play it like it's the world, the seventh game of the World Series. Please stop trying to make people happy. And uh, you've seen a change a little bit in his lineups since he did that. Not so much rotation, uh, not pulling guys in and out. And uh, I'm glad they did that. It shows that our stars want to win this thing. And it's yeah. been enjoyable to watch. But, Kelly, I, don't, I want our fans and our audience to, to follow you on, our, on your sites so, so I don't want you to go too deep into all your topics because I want them to listen for themselves. But we we're playing Japan in the championship game, USA. And we talked, we touched a little bit on the posting system for Japanese players. I'm sure we've got to be frothing at the mouth looking at some of those stars uh, that J- Japan has, the way they play the game, the success they've had in baseball. Can you explain a little bit to our audience before we get to the, our last question about the Japanese posting system? Sure. Thanks, Dave. And it is incredible, the popularity of the WBC. I don't think that everyone was prepared for just how popular it was going to be. I think that the uh, national pride and the fact that it moves quickly, you get, I mean, look, we had two semifinal games and a final game all three nights in a row, which is really satisfying. And you've got these one game advancements. It's just it's been really exciting and it caught me a little bit by surprise. Me too. But we, last night was such a treat because we got to watch Roki Sasaki start. And it turns out he gave up a three run homer to Urias, but that's the way it goes sometimes. But he is rumored to be one of the best young pitchers in the world right now. They're saying he could be as good as Otani. And if you looked at, I think it was maybe the first 10 pitches he threw last night, nine of them were over 100 miles an hour. He was incredible. So it gives rise to this question of when is he coming to MLB? And if you look at the system that MLB has had with Japan 
over the years, it's called the Japanese posting system. And essentially, if a player has few, a Japanese player in the Nippon Professional Baseball League has fewer than nine years of experience, then he can play in MLB subject to the posting system, which means the player has to request to his Nippon professional baseball team to be posted. So the team can say no. Um, but if the team says yes, then MLB clubs have, it's sometimes 45 days, sometimes 30 days from the posting date to negotiate with the player. And if an agreement is reached with an MLB club, then the MLB club pays the NPB club that the player is leaving a release fee or a posting fee to sign that player. That's separate from whatever the player gets from the MLB team he signed with. And it's not an insignificant number. It's based on a sliding scale, depending on how big the contract was that he signed. But if you look like if you look at players like uh, Masataka Yoshida, he just signed with the Red Sox outfielder. He had played for the Oryx Buffaloes. He was subject to the Japanese posting system, and the Red Sox had to pay about thirteen point five million in fees to the Oryx Buffaloes. But Cody Senga signed with the Mets. He had ten years of experience in the NPB, playing with the SoftBank Hawks. So he did not have to be subject to the posting system. He could sign as a free agent. That's great. I, I think, and I encourage all of our audience and our fans to start following you if they're not. And it's a, it's another perspective on what we're trying to do to build better baseball IQs. And I think you contribute to our mission uh, flawlessly and seamlessly. So with that, I, I, Kevin always asks a wonderful question to our, our guests at the end. And I want to kind of pass it back to him to, to hit you with it. Yeah, you know, simple question, but um, and, and your perspective is great, um, and, and everyone always gives us a pretty unique answer on this from their perspective. So, really simple, but Kelly, but what does it what does it being a ball player mean to you? You know, what does it mean being a ball player? Being a ball player, and I'll reflect my emotional roots in the game. Mm. I think being a ball player means that sometimes you can make someone's day and sometimes you can send them to bed in tears. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well, I uh, want to thank you, Kelly, for coming on the show today. It's tremendous. So we're going to have to have you back. And I love the cadence uh, between, between you and Kevin. It, uh, I sat back and I enjoyed the show today. I got a chance to just listen and almost missed my spot coming back in because I was enjoying it so much. But how, tell our audience how they can find you. How can we support you on, on what you're doing with social media on your website? Give our audience some of those addresses. Thanks so much, Dave. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at three inning fan. Three is all spelled out. And you can email me at Kelly, that's Kelly with an E-Y, Kelly at threeinningfan.com. And uh, just for our audience, you're not a divorce attorney, so your your interest in educating baseball fans is not a conflict of interest, right? You're not driving people to your practice. <laughs> no, I'm not going to make it rain in that respect. No, <laughs> I would have I would have respected it either way, though. I thought it would have been our <laughs> business. But to our fans approaching fourteen thousand two hundred subscribers, 
Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. We'll continue to give you great baseball content, um, especially through our flagship show here, Coaching Kernan. We have a full week this week of, of shows and guests, so continue to follow us there. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, whatever your favorite streaming app is. Hit us up on social media. Uh, you can hit us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook questions. I'll give you give the audience one question a day. I'll answer, but I'll respond to everybody privately. And keep following Kevin on Ball 9, two tremendous articles a week. Ball 9 does a great job of, of really coming straight at the baseball fan and exposing things that we should be, critical things we should be asking ourselves about the baseball and the game. So with that, uh, Kevin, thanks again. Tremendous show. We appreciate you so much. America's most beloved sports writer for a reason. Um, keep doing the work you're doing. We appreciate all you do for baseball. Appreciate it, Dave. And uh, this is what we love the show because it's informative and we all learn something. Yep. And thanks again. And keep following us here. And with that, we're out. Episode 143, Coaching Kernan on Real Voice of the Game production.